I didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> That's a lie. Um, you may have heard in the news this past uh, week, leading up at least to this past week, about uh, the top-selling costumes this Halloween. Um, listed among them, you'll be glad to know, our superheroes are still hot. So that, that, that's good. Uh, as are, and I don't doubt, no few of you are very acutely aware of this, and that being that uh, Frozen, the characters from Frozen, or bear, bear with me the pun, are still hot um, in terms of Halloween costume sales. But that, of course, is not really what made the news, was it? If you're paying attention to this, to this storyline, uh, one of the big sellers uh, this year were Ebola doctors dressed up in yellow hazmat suits. And then also, fully clad head-to-toe in black, in some cases even with large knives, Islamic terrorists. Uh, that, too, was uh, top-selling. Now, what do we make of that? I'm not talking about the superheroes and Frozen. I'm talking about the other category. What do we make of that? At the very least, I think we could say it's trendy. Let's push a little further. Let's say it's insensitive. Let me go a little further. What's at the heart? What's really going on there? What's being reflected in the fact that uh, costume designers are producing this stuff and that people then are buying it and wearing it? Uh, I would say it's we are deluded. We are complacent. We have somehow inoculated ourselves against the reality of there being real danger in this world, and somehow we're invulnerable. We are immune to it, and so we're going to put on a costume as though it's not really real. And here's the thing. We can do the same thing and worse in the spiritual realm. Be careless, foolish, naive, and complacent. And we need to be jarred awake. We need to be sobered. Because there are spiritual dangers of which we must be aware. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me now to Lamentations 4. We are moving on slowly but surely through this little study uh, in this lesser book, I guess not lesser in terms of significance, but in terms of size. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, if you're trying to find it, uh, just find the Psalms. That's roughly the, the halfway point there in your Bible and start heading to the right. You'll hit some big books. Isaiah would be one. Jeremiah would be another. And right after Jeremiah, you've heard me say this before, uh, Jeremiah's little brother is Lamentations. Uh, only five chapters, five poems really is what they are. Or really you could also say funeral dirges in, in many respects. That's, that's what we have here. And we're going to read the fourth one here, and uh, I'd ask you to follow along silently as I read, and uh, let's pay heed to God's Word. Lamentations 4. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed, the holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street, the precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. The, the tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst, 
The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced, by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger, and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, our ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that which we could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits. Of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. Well, I dare say we need to pray for a moment, so let's do that. Lord, we, we need your help. This is uh, not the most pleasant thing to read uh, by any stretch, um, but it's your word. It's here. It's not there by accident. You have inspired these words so that no more and no less of what we find here is exactly what you intended for us to read. And you have brought us even here in this moment, preserving these words through the centuries and bringing us here in this moment in time and space. And so, in this convergence of all of that, we ask that you would help us here. Uh, hear these hard things 
that really inevitably are not meant to crush us, but to lift us up. And we pray that you would help us to see how and encourage our hearts. Amen. I have uh, many childhood memories of Halloween. Now, quick aside. But what I'm about to convey to you, I am not endorsing anything, I am not commanding anything, I am not condemning anything. That is a discussion for another time and another place, and I'm glad to have it, but that's not my point. I'm just telling you the facts, what my memories are, my experience as a kid, okay? So I can recall, that said, I can recall as a kid the costumes and the candy. I can remember walking through the streets with my, my little brother and uh, we'd bump up against friends, and we'd share intel, you might say, as to which houses had the best loot, and then we would go there, maybe a second time. Um, I can remember my father taking us to a haunted house or two, and I, and I can remember the Darth Vader and the strobe lights, which scared the spit out of me one year, and I remember on one occasion my brother punching a guy dressed up in a costume who jumped out and scared him, and he hauled off and let him have it. So, um, yeah, it's true. Um, I also remember one year we went to a hell house. I don't know how many of you are familiar with those. It's kind of a, a new trend in the recent years. It was a brand new thing way, way back in the, the uh, Jurassic period when I went to that. Um, but uh, the uh, hell house is basically, a, a, it's like a haunted house, but run by a, typically a church or a parachurch ministry of some kind in some locality. And the idea is instead of goose, goose, ghosts, well, hopefully not that, but instead of ghosts and goblins, it's more realistic terrors, things that, you know, really could happen in the scenes in the different rooms of the house that are conveyed. You know, I remember in case, in one case, actually, a, a, an auto accident and there were bodies everywhere, and, and, or, or a plane crash, or an ER scene and somebody being coded and, and that, that kind of thing. And the idea, the intent behind the hell houses is... Um, to, to make you take stock of your days and to turn from your ways and to accept the gospel. That's the idea. That's, that's the theory. Now, I'm not going to question the motives. That's not my place. I will question the methods. Um, I will question the effectiveness of, 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 put it this way, of scaring the bejesus out of people for Jesus. Um, I'm not really sure how many people are led to genuine faith that way. Uh, and I say that because just to talk about danger, just to talk about damnation, is, 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 is a thin message. It's a caricature of the whole message. And so I wonder. I wonder. Lamentations as I said earlier, is five poems. Uh, each one is an acrostic. I've talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, of varying levels, meaning by, by that it's a poetical device, very complex in terms of the organization. You can't see it in the English, but in the Hebrew, what it means is every line or every stanza, depending on which one you're looking at, begins with, you might say, the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So if we were writing it, you know, line one would start with A, line two would start with B, C, you move on through. Well, there's only 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. That's why you've got 22 lines in some cases, except for chapter three that has 66 because it's in clusters of three. Anyway, um, as you've heard me say in this, in this series, the, the historical context of all this is the horrific siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonian army 
and all that, that came with, with that. And, and uh, the Old Testament narratives describe to us the, the history and lay that out to us in terms of what was happening. But Lamentations is sort of like a, an eyewitness on the ground, not telling us so much what happened, but what it felt like. Not so much the facts, but the feelings, the emotions, the horror, the pain uh, of it. Now, Lamentations 4 fits right in there uh, in terms of this theme of, of God's judgment on His people uh, for their waywardness, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, but there's a, a new theme, a sub-theme that's interjected at, at, when you get to Lamentations 4, and that is the completion of the judgment, the judgment coming to an end, it having, you might say, limits, it being having a purpose, a point. And, uh, and that's really where I want to go over the next few minutes and, and talk about that here with you. Um, the idea being this, and I think this is really the main thing that you can pull from Lamentations 4, and that is the Lord does want us, the Lord does want us to hear the full message of judgment, the full message of judgment, that we might then turn to Him. That we might then turn to Him. Now, what I mean by that full judgment is that it's, it's not a truncated, caricature, flat thing. It's three-dimensional. There, there's a lot to it. And you can see that here in Lamentations 4. And it consists of three, three things, three points you can see in your, in your outline there. And that is this. Firstly, the pain of judgment. Secondly, the cause of the judgment. And thirdly, and hang on because you've got to get to this point, the end of judgment. So let's look at these in turn. The pain, the cause, the end. First, the pain. This is verses 1 through 10. I'm not going to read that again. Just, we'll highlight a couple points in there. But the pain of judgment, the, the temporary, which you re, we're reading of here in verses 1 through 10, the temporary experience of the people and the, that pain and what they were going through points to something greater, an eternal something. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's unpack that. They're a trajectory. A path, the direction that we see some things going. We talked about this back in Lamentations 2. I'm going to repeat just a little bit of that for the next two minutes or so. Um, what's going on here? God has taken the initiative with this relationship with, God's, with his people, with, with Israel, making them his own, calling them out to be his own for his purposes, blessing them so richly by his grace that they might then be a blessing uh, for his glory uh, out to the, the nations. Their response to that was, well, that's great, thanks. But we would like to worship who and how we please. Leave us, in essence, as kind of like a little toddler, a whole nation for centuries, is in essence shaking their fist at heaven saying, leave us alone. Leave us alone. It was a path of, of self-determination and self-dependence leading inevitably to self-destruction. Because we're not meant to live that way. Not before the true and living God. Um, you, pr you project that kind of path out, okay, over an eternal horizon. Leave me alone. What do you have? If God gives us what we want in the demand, shaking our fists at heaven, leave us alone. If he gives us, if that, that horrible thing does come about and he does give us what we want, leave us alone. You know what you have? You have hell. Lewis, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote about this in uh, The um, Great Divorce. Second quote there in your quotes and notes. I'm just going to read the first 
couple sentences there. There are only two kinds of people in the end. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Sobering. It's, it's quite sobering. So, okay, that's the trajectory projected out over an eternal horizon, and then you have the experience, our temporal experience pointing to, in space and time, pointing to something that could happen for eternity. Now, what sort of experience do we read of here in chapter 4? Utter devastation. You get the sense of contrast. It was once this, and now it's this. Just look at verses 1 and 2. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold has changed. And it might be because it's burned, actually. Um, the holy stones, this is stones from the temple, but what are they symbolically, metaphorically? The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. Now listen, what are they metaphorically? The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, likely broken. The work of a potter's Hands. So uh, pictures of devastation, these contrasts, or just horrific misery, these nightmarish images, verses 9 and 10. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced, there's still a piercing, you see, by lack of the fruits of the field, or, and how could the writer get this picture out of his mind? It's probably indelibly impressed on his, on his heart. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. So that's the, the temporal experience. Now what is that pointing towards, though? Something as bad as that was, something worse. Over that eternal horizon. This is a, a picture of, of hell. On earth, it's a sampling. It's a foreshadowing. It's a warning. It's like the flashing lights. Lewis, again, problem of pain, third quote on your sheet there. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Our temporary trajectory, our temporary experience of suffering is meant to, to point us towards something else, something worse on that eternal horizon. The reality of judgment is there's pain. Now, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to talk about that. I was actually thinking about this in the beginning of the service. Some of you I haven't had a chance to meet. This is your first Sunday here. And here I am. Hey, nice to meet you. Let's talk about hell. But we have to because here it is. Here it is in Holy Scripture. And we have to let Lamentations 4 speak to us pointing us towards the reality that there's something far worse and actually this is what we deserve. Now we are surrounded, here's the thing, I want as you go out this week, don't go out yet, but as you go out this week, we are surrounded by these kinds of reminders, aren't we? we you, you hear God's megaphone all the time. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening to the message? He wants us to hear the full message of judgment, the full message, not the flat one, the full one, that we might turn to him. But that then takes us to the second point, which because it begs the question, how could this be 
Why would this be? What's going on? The cause of judgment, verses 11 through 20, well, the cause is twofold at least, are rebellious hearts. And you see that with, with the prophets and the priests. Now, what was their calling? The prophets and the priests, their calling was to proclaim and model for the people in word and, and deed what it looked like to walk with God in justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now, okay, that's their calling. What was the record? How'd they do at that? Well, you see in verse 13, this. Now, what's the this? This is everything that he said in verse 12, up to verse 12, right? The utter devastation. This. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of the, her the blood of the righteous. But then going even beyond that, it's not just the leaders, it's the populace, the people, the folks like you and me, the ordinary. How did they respond? Turning to other nations and their gods instead of to the true God. Verse 17, our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watch for a nation, likely Egypt in this case, which could not save. It was just empty, futile hopes and a very poor understanding of God's promises. Very superficial, very self-serving understanding of what all that was meant to, to be. You see, they have their confidence in an impreg their idea of an impregnable city and an unbeatable king. Look at two verses. Verse 12, the king, this is kind of the idea, it seems like, you know, that they had this, this warped, twisted, delusional idea. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Really? There's nothing left of the gates. Or you get to, down to uh, verse 20. It's talking about King Zedekiah here. Uh, you can read about this in, in 2 Kings and, and the latter part of Jeremiah. The breath of our nostrils. Okay, this is how they look towards the king. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was a captured like an animal, a little parenthetical, in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Such was the rebelliousness of their hearts, the stubbornness of their spirit. This is a damning indictment. The reality of judgment is there is horrific pain and a cause that we've got to reckon with. This is a picture of what we deserve and why. Of what we deserve and why. And the thing is we need to be Listening, I would say, not just to um, the megaphone, but if you will, visualizing ourselves in the ruins of Jerusalem. Because we are no different, none of us. We are no better, any of us, than those people. Such as the, again, I would say, the, the rebelliousness of our hearts and the stubbornness of our spirits. We, we dare not, and we tend to, but we dare not play this down to make ourselves feel better. We can't do that. God wants us to hear this full message. We might then turn to Him. Now, that takes us to the third part, the third point. It's not just the pain of the judgment and the cause of the judgment, but the end of it, hang on here, 
There's good news. There's good news here. Verses 21 and 22. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz, but to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, the daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. I said this is good news. It is indeed. If you, if you just hang on, it's good news. That, that, again, these real events are pointing towards a greater fulfillment of something to come. Justice for Edom. Justice for Edom. The promise being, in Christ, in the coming of the Messiah, the anointed, all things are going to be made new. Not just destroyed, but renewed, reclaimed, restored. But not just all things made new, all things made right. All wrongs made right. Justice truly, finally, the kind of justice your heart on its best days rightly aches for, cries for. Not just all things being made new, with the coming of the anointed one, with Jesus, all things being made right. Now, Edom and Israel, what's going on here? Quick summary. Long history of rivalry and enmity between these two. Uh, you've got uh, Israel here and uh, uh, Judah to the south and Edom kind of over here uh, to, to the west, excuse me, to the east. And uh, just in recent events, as far as the, the context of Jeremiah and Lamentations and what's going on here, you have when, when the Babylonian army came and began to set up things for the siege, Edom was like, oh, I'm not getting involved in that. Just kind of stood back and, and hung back. Passive bystanders. But then once the siege really got going and it was towards the end and everything's coming apart, they were actually supporting the Babylonian king and what was happening to Jerusalem. And here's the deal. There's another king coming who's going to make things right. Now that's good news. That's good news. Justice for Edom and grace for Israel. The promise here also being that the punishment is going to be, as you, you can see there uh, in verse 22, the first part, is going to be accomplished. Exile no longer. It being finished. But here's the thing. You've got to think about this for a second. How could that be? How can God be merciful towards a people and just, given everything we just talked about, right? The, the, the rebelliousness of the hearts, the stubbornness of the spirit, how can he be merciful and yet still just? It's the very question Paul asks in Romans. The punishment can come to an end because the punishment ultimately is put on another. And that is how God can be merciful and just. And the punishment of that, that other is the ultimate anointed one alluded to, if you will, in verse 20. The greater anointed one who really was caught in the pits, so to speak, ensnared, trapped, destroyed, in essence. Such that now we can rest under his shadow and he truly is our breath. You see, the end, the reality of judgment is it does come to an end. Accomplishment. 
finished in Christ. And that's the good news. And we can rest there. He's going to make all things new, all things right, all the accounts settled. John, the Apostle John, uh, if you want to keep your thumb here in Lamentations 4, the Apostle John, towards the very end of that fourth gospel in the New Testament, John chapter 19 in his account of the crucifixion, wording conceptually speaks to these very things. Jesus is hanging on the cross. This is one of the the seven words from the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, we need to know... Yes, point one, the pain of judgment. What is due to us? We need to also know the cause of judgment, why it is due to us. But we dare not stop there. That's a flat message. That is not the full message. The full message is the end of the judgment that has been cast completely on Christ. For those of us who will put our hope and faith in Him. Now with that, let me reread verse 20. Let's reread it with who ultimately the Holy Spirit has in mind and is pointing towards in its ultimate fulfillment. Who is verse 20 really about? Your Savior, if you're a Christian. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits of whom we said under His shadow we shall live among the nations. And indeed we can. The Lord, you see again, He wants us to hear the full message. The full message of judgment. That we might then turn to Him. Now I want to just end on this and wrapping this up. Again, talking about the fullness of this message. It is not a scaring us from something. It's a drawing us to something. You get the distinction? It's huge. It's life-altering. It's not scaring us from something, but drawing us to... Let me try and paint a picture for you, a a neighborhood, okay? Imagine uh, just a, a normal, boring, suburban neighborhood. But in this case, at the end of one dark street is a hell house. And you see people coming and going. People are going in there and coming out, screaming, yelling, running away. Great. Where are they running to? To what are they running? The other houses in the neighborhood? That will do them no good. Because, see, no matter how well manicured those lawns may appear to be, it's the same stuff in those houses as in the hell house. Death and decay. Ah, except for one house. There, I left this out. There's one more house in the neighborhood at the end of another street. It's beautifully lit from within. You get closer, and you can hear music. You can hear laughter. 
You, get, you, you find yourself approaching the door and you begin to smell the smells of a feast table, of a banquet, and there are people milling about enjoying that and one another. And you get up to that door and there's one who stands there to greet you with open arms with a smile upon his face and the sincerest greeting that could possibly be given. And he says to you, Welcome home, child. Welcome home. That's the message. That's the message. The pain and the cause, yeah, it's real, and we need to be brave enough to talk about that and honest. But so too the hope. So too the hope. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we hear the word judgment and we cringe. Uh, we need to know, and we need to know again and again, be reminded again and again that you have promised to make all things new and all things right, and that is through the finished work of Jesus, by whom we have been made right, right with you living the life that we should have lived and you lived it for us, dying the death that we should have and deserve to die, but you died it for us. So now there's no more to add and there's nothing that can be taken away. We pray that you'd help us this morning to rejoice all the more in what's been done and hope all the more for what's coming. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.